Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the fifth chapter. We are continuing a sermon series called The Message from the Mountain. Um, This is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. How many have ever heard about the Sermon on the Mount? A few of us, yeah, some of us have. Um, We started this last week. I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's. Um, It's... It's uh, a lot of context for where we'll be going moving forward. I'm going to go over some of what we went over last week today real quick, but I promise for those of you who were here last week, I won't re-preach the entire sermon. Um, but if I did, it'd be okay, right? You means you probably needed to hear it again, right? You're like, please don't. Please don't. Um, Shane, I'm just going to warn you, some of the stuff you've heard a billion and one times by now. So uh, just get ready. Just buckle up. Uh Matthew chapter 5 is where we begin the Sermon on the Mount, but I want to talk about the bookends, the two bookends of this sermon, which is Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 4. At the end of Matthew chapter 7, it actually says that whenever Jesus got done giving the Sermon on the Mount, giving this message from the Mount, it says the people there, it says they were amazed. That word there literally means they were struck senseless. A better word in our culture today, it says their minds were blown. So kind of like what it should be when you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and get to the end, if you had the same response as the people in Jesus' day, you should get to the end of Matthew chapter 7 and go, whoa, what is going on here? Which is not usually what we do when we get done reading it. We're like, well, that was cute. And we sit it down and we find which verses we can post on Instagram so that people think we're spiritual. Um, nobody in here does that, right? Nobody. Um, it says their minds were blown. They were astonished. Why? Because Jesus taught, it says, like one who had authority, not like their normal teachers in the synagogue. Their other religious leaders. You got to remember, this is a day and age where the Romans had come in and taken over their land. An enemy army had come in, come in and, and imposed their culture, imposed their way of life on their Jewish way of life. And they let the Jews keep some things about their culture and things, but they were imposing their rule and their dominion over the Jews. And you would think in that culture that the leaders of the Jews would rise up and start speaking with authority, maybe against maybe the Romans. But how many know they were probably a little bit scared to speak against the Romans? It can be dangerous to speak against an enemy army that's in control of you. It can be dangerous. And so Jesus gets up and he starts speaking with authority. And the things he's saying, it's blowing their minds. They can't believe it. And we started some of it last week with the Beatitudes, right? The blessings, the nine blessings. But as we see, who is Jesus talking to? If you back up to Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus walks on the scene... He looks around, he sees these oppressed Jewish people who are God's chosen people, and he sees the Romans oppressing them, and he says this, God has come close 
And his, his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is about to be established. It's here and it's now. And everyone loses their mind. They're like, yes, it's finally time. God's kingdom is finally coming. And I'm going to see it in my lifetime. The problem is God's kingdom looks completely backwards and upside down than what they thought. It wasn't just an overthrowing of the Romans. In fact, the Romans would actually make life worse for them over the next few decades. It had nothing to do with government structures at all, in fact. The kingdom of God, turns out, is all right here. It's this invisible thing that you can't see. And the way the kingdom of God works is completely upside down and backwards of what we think. And that's how we ended last week talking about how the kingdom of God, to be great in the kingdom of God, what do you have to do? Yeah, you have to be the least. You have to be the servant of everyone else, which is not the way we think the world works. We think that the world works is the more, you, the more you work, the more you do, the more you show yourself like I'm awesome, then people will think you're awesome. And I can't tell you the number of times I've talked with people and they think, well, if I would just get that promotion or into that friend group, be able to accomplish this thing, then I'd be a great voice for God and people would listen to me. And I would say no. If you're not faithful to God with the few people he's put in your life, it doesn't matter how many platforms you get, you're never going to be the voice that God has called you to be. You have to be faithful in what? The, the little things to be trusted with the big things. And so this is the context of this Thing. Jesus is standing here and he's giving basically what we could call his inaugural address as king. He's telling, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is what my rule looks like. And we get here to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And this is what it says. It says, you are the salt of the earth. Look at the person next to you. Say, why are you so salty? Just so you know, um, you guys might know this, but in, in teenage lingo, that means you're a little bit grumpy. Does anyone know that one? Yeah, no cap. That means no lie. That's kid. Kids have terminology we don't use anymore, right? They don't say spill the beans. They say spill the tea. I'm going to spill the tea right now on this gospel thing. You guys are like, please stop, Pastor Drew, please. I've learned how to make something instantly not cool. You take a cool thing. And then you just start singing it as an adult, and it instantly becomes uncool, right? All the kids lately started going, shee, and it annoys me. So I started doing it. And guess what? They stopped. That's not cool. The adults are doing it. Stop. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Now, he's talking to this group of people. If you look back at Matthew chapter 4, it's common fishermen. It's everyday workers. It's not the, the greatest of society. It's people who have been sick and diseased, paralytic, demon-possessed people. Now, something I forgot to mention last week, it's not just those people, right? It's the people who brought them to them. And not only that, it's not the sick and the diseased. It's the healed and the freed. These are people walking with Jesus because he, he freed me. Like, like, he healed me. Like, I was oppressed by demons, and I'm not anymore. Like, I used to have seizures all the time. I haven't had seizure in forever because he healed me. I used to be broken, and he put me back together. Like, these are the people following Jesus, and they have hope, but what they don't realize is 
Jesus is about to turn the whole thing on them. He's like, it's not just me. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are. He says, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are the salt of the earth. It's you. Like, look around the entire room, right? It's, it's all of you. You are the salt of the earth. But then he poses this question, and I, I want to say, because I like science. Anybody in here like science? I like science a lot. But in science, um, if, you, if you were looking at salt and analyzing salt, it's actually one of the most stable things we know. Like, salt doesn't just lose its taste, Right? But you also have to know in Jesus' day, when I say salt, you guys think of a little salt shaker sitting on your table, right? Or that big giant thing of iodized salt that you use to put on slugs, which you sh- it's really mean. You probably shouldn't do that. Um, so you, but, but we're talking about like in Jesus' day, this unrefined salt, which is possible that as, as it set out over time, um, would kind of dissolve away and lose its taste, you are the salt. And salt then wasn't just used for flavoring. Like, I don't know if you knew this, but back then they didn't have refrigerators. So they actually used salt to preserve meat, to keep it from going bad. You are the salt. You add flavor to the world. How many of you like baked potatoes? Anybody love baked potatoes? How many like a good baked potato? Anybody? How about just a straight baked potato with no salt at all? That is like the worst thing. I'm convinced we don't actually like potato. We just like salt, and potato gives us an excuse to eat it, right? Because any potato without, like, chips or anything, it's just the French fries, no salt, awful. It's all just awful. But it's not just to give it flavor, but also to preserve it. There's something about us that's supposed to preserve this world. But if the salt has lost its taste... It says, how will it be restored? And it's not saying it can be, like it can or can't. He's just saying if it does. It says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I think Mark puts it a little more extreme. What's he saying, Mark? He says thrown out and what's put in, in manure, thrown into manure piles. Like if it loses its flavors, he's like, oh, I'm just going to throw us the manure. Now, it's still salt, but where is it now? It's with the manure, right? It's lost its purpose. It's lost its usefulness. And this is not talking about your usefulness to God. It's talking about your usefulness to the world. What is your usefulness to the world? Like, as Christians, as believers, there's people, these are people who are following Jesus. Like, did you guys know when it says, you are the salt of the earth, guess who it's talking to? you right it's that not actually it's actually jesus talking to those people on that mountaintop but who are these people on that mountaintop they're people who are following jesus so who jesus is talking to is to people who are following jesus how many are following jesus this morning so he's talking to you or actually a better translation of this word like i say here in the south is y'all this is the greek word y'all y'all are the salt of the earth what is your usefulness to the world and sometimes as christians as quote-unquote christians we think we can just be goodish 
and just add a little Jesus to what we're doing and say that we're being salt. You're not. Like, listen, when I eat a potato, I might be eating like, man, this is a really salty potato, right? It's really salty. I've never had some salt and gone, you know, this is a really potatoey salt. I've never eaten a steak and go, man, this, this salt is really meaty. We don't describe things based on the thing. It's like we describe it based on the salt, the flavor, the taste. Guys, we are the flavor of the world. And sometimes we try to hide what we are. We just try to add Jesus to what we're doing. And that's backwards. That's trying to be potatoey salt, which is not what we are. We change everything. When we show up in the situation, it changes things. Like these are people who've been healed, who've been set free, right? Who are no longer oppressed. And Jesus is saying like, you're the salt. You're the salt. You change the situation. When you walk into the room, it changes the entire flavor of the room. So the question you have to ask yourself is, is that me? And if you're not that, what good are you? What good are you besides to be thrown off into the dung pile or thrown off so people can just walk all over you? Um, look at the next. No, let's not look at the next yet. Um, Matthew, I've got here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a few verses at you um, about salt and tastiness and light. There's a few. Don't turn to any of them because it'll take a while. And Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. Um, when it says, uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, if it's lost its saltiness, if it's lost its savor, um, that word there is actually its ability. Like, it doesn't actually say salt in the original language. It doesn't actually say taste. It says its ability. Um, that's the same as in Matthew uh, chapter 9 when it says, but when he, it says, Jesus said, excuse me, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. Like those who are able is what it says. Those who are able have no need of a physician. Like those who are salty have no need of a physician. Those who are able. In Mark chapter 14, it says, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said, Simon, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour he said actually in the original language he said are you not able to stay awake one hour were you not able were you not salty is the same word there it's this word are you able and the most famous spot is philippians 4 13 it was just says i can do all things through christ who strengthens me it says i am the little word there is i am able to do all things that's that same word saltiness like you are the salt you are able if you've lost your ability what good are you so it has this kind of concept of doing things which is weird because don't we have a salvation that's not based on doing things and that's true and we're going to talk about more of that in just a second but doing things i don't know uh tastelessness this word tastelessness in luke chapter 14 it says this is the word tasteless that word tasteless actually in the greek is the word foolish like it's tasteless it's foolish it's the same word as we find here um, where it says if it's of no use if it's tasteless then it's good for 
manure. That's that Luke 14. In Romans 1.22, you remember that scripture says, claiming to be, to be wise, they became fools, right? People who claim to be smart because they're of the world, they actually became fools. Why? Because they changed the glory of God for man-made things. That's that same word, tasteless or foolish. Claiming to be wise, they actually became tasteless is what the scripture says. They became foolish. And the last one I want to do is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, where is the wise one? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Has God not made tasteless or foolish the wisdom of the world? So the world thinks it's got full of taste. The world thinks it's tasty, it's salty. But what Scripture tells us time and time again, it's not. It's a false taste. It's, it's not real. So let's look at the next section here. So now we know about saltiness. Now let's take a look at some, uh, some light. In Matthew chapter 4, it says, you, or, or sorry, the right translation should be there, y'all, y'all, are the light of the world. Now, I thought Jesus was the light. Is Jesus the light of the world? Yes. If any of you grew up listening to Carmen when you were a kid, probably very few of you these days, Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. Nobody? Like three of you. You know that one? All right, Charity, you got me. Um, there's a few head nods. The rest of you are like, what are you talking about? You're just too young. Um, you didn't grow up in Tulsa, so there you go. Um, you are the light of the world. Now, there's, there's a thing that we don't understand in our culture that they had a lot of awareness in their culture. It's like light is so like, readily available to us at all times. Like You're never someplace usually anymore where there's no light. But back in this time, if it was dark, it was dark. And to get light wasn't as easy as flipping on a switch. Like, you actually had to work for it. You had to have a lamp or a fire or something. Like, you had to get something on. Can you imagine? Some of you are like, yeah, no problem. I got this, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I'd be totally in trouble because I do not know how to start a fire. I, I just, I just want to tell you about this one profound moment I had for me personally. Um, it impacted me a lot. There was one night um, when I was, I was driving in the dark through one of these lonely Arkansas highways. And uh, it was really dark, no moon, full cloud coverage, right? And while I'm driving down the road, my headlights, all the lights in my car, completely go out. And while I'm sitting there driving, I had this really profound thought. I thought, Ah! <laughs> Sorry. Right? <laughs> That's exactly where I was. I apologize. I'm so sorry. Um, because there were no lights and I was careening down the road at 55 miles an hour. Because um, I was going the speed limit, kids. And um, yeah, I learned something that day. Darkness is scary. And the reason, like, what gets me is how many know the world is in darkness, right? And we're so confused, like, I can't believe they would act that way. I can't believe they would do that. 
Guys, they're lost. They're in darkness. Why are we surprised? Well, I can't believe that political, that political party would do that or this political party would do this. Guys, they're in darkness. Like, politics isn't the answer. It's darkness. And some of you are like, yes, it's definitely darkness, right? Um, all the things we think are the answer, like, it's not the salt. It's not the light. It's darkness. So why? It's the whole world screaming, ah! Why? Because it's darkness, right? And it says that we are the light of the world. And we're like, well, Jesus is the light. I, and I get it. Yes, Jesus is the light. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the light, right? Over and over again, Jesus is the light. And some people are like, well, um, it's like Jesus is the light, and we're just reflecting the light, like the moon reflects the sun. Or like tonight, if you go and look outside, about 9.20, you might see the Starlink satellites going over. They have no lights on them. They're just reflecting the sun's light, right? But to us, it looks like these giant shooting stars going across the sky. Like, like well, it's just reflecting light. I, and I... I get that. I'm not going to sit here and argue whether we're actually illuminous sources in and of ourselves or we're just reflect, reflecting the light of Jesus. I don't think that's the point. The point is, I don't care how much the moon decided it didn't want to shine. If the sun's shining on it, it's going to shine. Right? Those satellites, when they go across tonight, it doesn't matter if they try to hide. If the sun is shining on them, they're going to shine. Like, when the light is shining, it's going to shine. And that's the point Jesus is making here. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, it cannot be hidden. So if you're not shining, you're probably not a light. A city on the hill, it cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Right? Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Anybody? All these old songs, you guys got to come with me. Come on. Come on. They don't put it on their basket. What do they do? They put it on a stand so it gives light to the whole house. Like, if I have a light, I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to say, you know what? I want everyone to see it. I have a light. I have a light. Ever give a kid a flashlight? What's the first thing they do with it? Whew, right into your eyes. Oh, you must have a flat. Look, mom. <laughs> Moms, we did not give you flashlights today. Um, that's for Father's Day, right? <laughs> no one needs flashlights anymore. We got phones. In the same way, I see you. I see you. He's got a light. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your fathers in heaven. Like what it says in Philippians, it actually says Philippians 2 Philippians. 2.15, that we live in a crooked and twisted generation. Actually, pause, it says 2,000 years ago, those believers lived in a crooked generation. But it's gotten a lot better since then, don't you guys think? Yeah, um, for those at home, uh, everyone's shaking their heads no, because that's what we call sarcasm, right? It has not gotten better at all. If anything, maybe it's gotten worse, I don't know. But what he's saying in Philippians, he's saying, you are a light in a twisted and crooked generation. You are a light. Like, you don't have a choice. You are a light. So what does a light do? What is the purpose of a light? Flip with me, um, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5.
I preached this passage a few weeks ago to our youth. I had confetti. I don't have any confetti today. I'm sorry. I left it at home. It says, for at one time, you were in darkness. How many remember before you came to Christ and you were in darkness? Like before you actually knew Jesus, you were in darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Why are they light in the Lord? Because they believed on Jesus, right? They heard the message of the gospel that Jesus lived a sinless life. And that the sinless Jesus, who was God in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins, taking away all of our shame. And then he, he did something incredible. What did he do? He rose from the dead. That's insane, guys. Like, I just got goosebumps thinking about it all over again. Like, Jesus rose from the dead. That's crazy. Proving he was God. Like, and if you believe that, you surrender your life to it. Like, if a guy rises from the dead, I'll do whatever he says. So now they're in light. Walk as children of the light. And then it says this, For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Some of you, you, you think when a Christian brother or sister calls you out on something that you're doing that you shouldn't, you say, you're just judging me. Some of you won't let your spouse speak into your life because when they say something like, hey, I don't know if that's a good idea, I don't know if that honors Christ, you're like, well, you're just judging me. It could be exposing the light. Well, they did it in kind of a mean, haughty way. Okay, maybe their delivery was wrong, but what if it's truth? Just because they said it wrong means, oh, it's not the word of God? Now, I get it. It's good to be gentle. The scripture tells us to be gentle, right? Right? It's not permission to be a jerk to your spouse today, especially to moms today, right? But truth is truth. And when lights expose kids, when your parents call you out, on something that you've done that's wrong? You can't say, well, you used to do it. No, like, that's not the point, right? They're shining light on the darkness. They're exposing the darkness. It says, for it's shameful to even speak of those things that they do in secret. But when anything ex is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. I think that's the most profound thing in all of scripture when anything is exposed by the light it becomes visible when you shine a light on it like, oh i can see that now when someone's trying to shine a light on you you know the reason why we say oh you're just being mean or you used to do it or whatever you're just judging me it's because we're trying to retreat back into the darkness because we're being exposed are you with me Oh, Pastor Drew, move on. You're supposed to be preaching a nice Mother's Day sermon. For anything that becomes visible is in the light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. Like, Vanessa, are you awake now? <laughs> yeah. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper. Like, how many know when someone comes in to wake you up and they turn on that light switch, your first reaction is like, oh man, I can't believe it's Tuesday. Let's do this. Nobody? Just me, right? 
No, what happens when that light first gets turned on? We, we shrink back from it, right? It's painful at first. And I will say, any time the Lord shines a light in an area of your life that's been hidden in darkness, it might be painful at first. And people might shrink back. And if you are the light, if you're the light, and you walk into the room with grace and mercy and gentleness, some people will start to shrink back. Why? Because darkness starts to get exposed. And why should we be surprised that people are like, no, I don't want to wake up. I, I just want to go back to bed, right? This is a Waco sleeper, and that's not us. We're like, no, just five more minutes. Like, I'll repent of that tomorrow, right? Just hit the snooze button on my Christian walk. Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. But this isn't just the call of Christ to us. This is the call of us as followers of Christ to the world that's around us. To say, look, there's a light. And yeah, shining the light on your stuff might be painful. But I'm telling you, how many know there's freedom and truth? How many used to walk in darkness and you let some stuff go, and now you have true freedom, but the process hurt a little bit. Can you raise your hand for me so I feel like you're like, yes, me, Pastor, thank you. Just raise your hand even if it's not you, so that I know that you're like, why is everyone raising their hands? Um, because we love Jesus. Oh, yeah, I do. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Um, but then it says this, and I want, this is where I want to end, and Eddie, I'm, I'm rounding third, and since we don't have a worship team, um, today, Eddie's gonna he's gonna help me out up there, I think. And I'm gonna let you guys get out of here so you can spend time with your moms today. Um, but this gets me. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And that's weird, because for years we've preached, it's not about your works, it's not about your works, it's not about your works. And it's 100% true. It's not about what you do. When I say works, I don't mean like get a job. I mean like all the good things you do to prove to people that you're good. It isn't about that. In fact, I think it's Ephesians where it says, it is by grace that you're saved, not of your own actions, not of works. Why? So you can't brag about it. Like, you know, I was so good. God was like, he's so good. I'm going to save him. That's not the way it works. But what happens is, is once your life is transformed by Jesus, like once you surrender your life to the king and you truly know him, once you start following him, you become this light. And guess what starts happening? Stuff, right? Works start happening. And how do you know it's works that are because you're saved and not works because you're trying to earn salvation? What's the difference? Here's the difference. It's right here at the end of this verse. It says, they will see your good, good works and do what? And give glory to your Father who's in heaven. The difference is, when the works are about me trying to earn my salvation, everyone go, looks at Drew and goes, man, that guy's pretty awesome. You see all the stuff he does? Like, when it's about me and my works, like, God, look at all the cool stuff I'm doing. Aren't I real great? I, I remember listening, I won't mention the organization, but this huge relief organization, it's a Christian relief organization, goes all over the world and, and helps millions of people every year. And the guy who founded it said, yeah, we've got a problem. 
because yeah, we help lots of people. We have lots of good works and we're a Christian organization, but the result of everything we doing, we're doing isn't glorifying God. Like when we get done with an area and we leave, there aren't people there glorifying God because we were there. They're just thankful that they didn't starve to death. To, to, uh, excuse me. They were thankful that they didn't starve to death while we were there. But they weren't like, yay, Jesus. Like the purpose of our good works is so that people go, yay, God. Like God is awesome. That's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. It says, keep your conduct, that's your works, right? Your actions among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you, so that when they speak against you, I'll say that again, so that when they speak against you, <laughs> as evildoers, they're going to call you an evildoer, although you're doing good things. It says they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Like your actions, the things you do, how do you know it's of you or of God? Does the result result in praise to you or does it result in praise to God our Father? Will you stand with me? I'm going to go to one more verse. Shane, this one's especially for you. John chapter 15. This is for all of us. And if you're walking with us in our disciple-making groups, John chapter 15 is a place where we live like always. And in John chapter 15, read verses 7 and 8. It says this, If you abide in me or, or dwell with me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. Okay, so we're about to find out. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Like bearing fruit are the works other people can see. Like how is my father glorified? That people are looking at you and you're like, wow, look at all the stuff they're doing for Jesus. Like God is totally glorified in their life. And it says, by doing that, you'll prove to be my disciples. But I'm going to back up because how does it all start? It starts by abiding in Jesus. It doesn't start by trying to have fruit. Like, those who have fruit are awesome. That's not what it says. It says, those who abide in the vine, you start with Jesus. And as you start with Jesus, you grow. And just works start to happen. And as works start to happen, guess what you become? Salt and light. And the result is this illuminating thing that God is glorified. So you can walk in a neighbor's meal and people start posting on Facebook, oh my gosh, God is awesome. Oh, you mean Wes is awesome. I never heard his name mentioned once. God is awesome. You can walk into the workplace and people go, God is awesome. People might say they're also tired of you talking about Jesus all the time. That's a thing. That's not on you. But my prayer for us today as we get ready to leave this place on this Mother's Day is, is for us to walk out and say, I want to be so plugged into the vine. I want to be so plugged in to the Lord that I bear fruit and I'm just salt and light everywhere I go and God is glorified. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? I want to say this morning if, 
If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as Savior and Lord, you're hearing all this stuff about being salt and light, and you're like, you know what? I'm neither of those. I'm the one hiding in darkness. Like, I've got stuff going on in me, Pastor Drew, that if people knew, oh my goodness, I'm afraid to expose myself to the light. This morning, if that's you, I'm going to invite you to surrender your life to Christ, to let His light shine on you. I'm telling you, there's freedom. It's going to hurt your eyes for a minute, but I'm going to tell you, once the light is there, there is freedom and newness of life. That's the reason we're all here this morning, because we've all experienced that. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to talk to the Lord. I want you to surrender your life to Christ. Father God, I come before you right now in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every other name. And God, this morning, Lord, we know that our works won't save us. Nothing we do is good. On the best day, our best goodness is nothing but pure darkness. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are light. And because you are light, that if we follow you, if we walk in the light as you are in the light, Lord Jesus, that we can be that light too. Lord God, I pray this morning for those that don't know you as Savior and Lord. Father God, I pray that their hearts would fully surrender to you this morning. Lord God, I pray for those here this morning, God, that they're walking through a difficult circumstance. I pray that your light would shine on that. Lord God, for those in here, Lord, who are brokenhearted or sick, whatever's going on in their life, Father God, I pray, Lord, that they would lean into you as the answer this morning. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.